Hey, this is Kate Nocera, and you're listening to No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. Every week, we talk about this crazy time in U.S. politics, break down a couple stories, and try and make sense of things. This week, though, we're going to focus on the Trump administration's decision to end the Obama-era program DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which allowed undocumented immigrants who came to the United States as children to stay and work here. The decision affects nearly 800,000 people living in the United States, though they're in limbo now since uh, Trump delayed the phase out of the program for six months to give Congress time to come up with some sort of fix. Joining me this week is politics editor Catherine Miller. Hey, Catherine. Hello. And White House correspondent Adrian Carasquillo. Hey, guys. Hey, Adrian. Hey. And just so everyone knows, it is almost 12 o'clock on a Thursday. And I'm telling you that because who knows what could have happened by the time you listen to this. There could be more tweets. There could be more tweets. And they could be literally any position on this particular (laughs) issue because we've seen them all in the last 48 hours. It's only been 48 hours. So, Adrian, you have obviously written a ton about this. Let's just start by talking about the weeks and time up until the announcement. What happened? How did Trump and the Trump administration come to the decision to end this? And why did they do it in the way that they did? Why did they end DACA? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's been pressure on the president um, since the beginning of his administration. You remember back when he was a candidate, uh, he said he was going to eat. He was going to end the, quote, uh, two illegal Obama amnesties. The second program, DAPA, never even went into effect and they rescinded that and that's gone. DACA for the, the whole time was a program that had a lot of bipartisan support at least in terms of um, protections of dreamers. Now, the executive order that President Obama signed was not something Republicans were happy about. They thought it was executive overreach. They thought it was unconstitutional by him choosing a group that he could protect uh, and let stay here and give work authorization to. But um, as a candidate, candidate Trump said, he's getting rid of this on day one. I want dreamers to come from the United States. I want the people in the United States that have children I want them to have dreams also. We're always talking about dreamers for other people. But as president, he started talking about how he had heart uh, for these kids. You know, I love these kids. I I love kids. I have kids and grandkids. And I find it very, very hard doing what the law says exactly to do. And, you know, the law is rough. I'm not talking about new laws. I'm talking the existing law is very rough. Uh, the average age of dreamers is about 27, but they came here as children, and so he, he's calling them kids. He said he loved them. And so that is when you realize that maybe sort of different than some Trump issues where he's very solidly makes it clear what, what side he's on. Um, this was an issue where it started becoming, whoa, well, wait, what's going to happen? And, and then I think ultimately, and what I wrote about was that DACA was an orphan in this White House. The people who supported it were kind of lukewarm and kind of late to the cause. In general, they thought maybe this is bad politics and maybe they felt uh, bad for the dreamers, etc. But the opponents have been opposing this policy for years. Attorney General Jeff Sessions did not want to defend this in court. Stephen Miller has been working behind the scenes to get rid of this from from day one of the presidency. And so I I think what you had ultimately was a situation where uh, the people who were opposing it were telling the president they could not defend it in court. And then once 
the attorneys general led by Texas and 10 other states came in with a lawsuit against the program that put what one White House official told me, they, they put Trump in a box. So I, I wanted to ask you just a little bit, though, about the timeline and, and what actually made this happen. Earlier this year, the Trump administration had said that they were going to indapa the Obama executive action, which was for the undocumented parents of American citizens and certain and a certain group of people. But it was basically for people who'd come to the country, who'd actually come to the country rather than children. And at that time, they said they were also going to keep DACA. That was earlier this year. And then a series of states, including Texas, said they were going to sue the administration for continuing DACA. Do you think that lawsuit was really the the thing that pushed the White House into, like, do you think that is the actual, like, this deadline is the, is the reason that they ended it? It's absolutely the reason. I mean, what we've watched this year is, you know, this focus on health care, now this focus on taxes. The White House didn't want to deal with this, and they were happy to sort of, like, float in this nebulous middle ground, which which really, you know, they felt worked out for them. You had the far-right voices, the Mark Recorians of the world, who were really upset. They felt that this was a campaign promise that was not being honored. But the White House was basically letting the program survive, but they weren't endorsing it. They weren't saying it was going to continue. And even what you're talking about when they got rid of DAPA, they just sort of were like, yeah, DAPA's gone, but then they didn't get rid of DACA. So then the real story there was that DACA was continuing. And so right. uh, that was... It was like the last line of the press yeah. release was like, and also DACA will <laughs> yeah. continue. So, I mean, it, it was really interesting. And, and they were trying to do this political thing. And, you know, in the briefing every day and, and early on when Sean Spicer was still there and, and we would ask him every day and they would just say like, oh, we're still reviewing the program. I mean, they would have done that for like two years. I just think they would have done that for a while because it was not in their business interest to deal with this. And and it sort of worked for them. But of course, this lawsuit came and that changed. Many conservatives will say the way in which this was done was unconstitutional, right? Like it was executive overreach by Obama. But the majority, I think, even in Congress and in popular you know, public opinion is that something should be done to protect people who were brought here not by their own choice and have known no other country as their home, except for, you know, some factions, I think. The way, like, Jeff Sessions has been incredibly consistent on this point. Like, this is not a new cause for him. He had a very big smile the other day, Kate, when he announced. He had a very big smile when when he came out to announce the end of this program. I mean, this has been... This has been a central cause for him for years and years and years on the Hill. And so I think if you see him and Stephen Miller as the key players in in this decision, you don't see how it shakes out like another way. But now it's gotten a lot more confusing, right? In the last like 48 hours, I feel like Trump has jumped around a bit on what's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. There was that New York Times report that they said that White House staffers weren't sure that the president understood the DACA policy. I mean, I know that we're used to a lot of like new things happening in this presidency and sort of crazy things, uh, you might say. And that's sort of striking to hear from White House staff. Like, we don't think the president understands what he just did is is insane. Um, But then he started tweeting about how Congress had to deal with this. And he said if they didn't, he would revisit the issue, which I'm not really sure what's going on there as in a negotiating way, because 
he, you know, he's the deal maker. He's the art of the deal. So they're now pushing this to Congress, which, as you said, a lot of Republicans feel that's the way it should have been done in the first place. And so now you're going to tell them that they have six months to do this. But they also tried to take on health care, another mammoth, controversial, polarizing issue. And that didn't work out so well. They also want to <laughs> overhaul the tax code this year, too. Nobody's done that in 40 years. No small thing. And um, they have, you know, they're, they're dealing with Harvey funding. They're dealing with so many issues. And now immigration, which, you know, flummoxed Obama for eight years. It certainly has with previous presidents. And now he's just saying, just get it done. But also, if you don't, I'll revisit it. What does that mean? The program is winding down. So how exactly when it's basically done in six months, he's not going to do another executive order. If they said this is unconstitutional, he's not going to bring it back. I mean, and then ultimately what this does get at is the fact that because we have to talk policy and we have to talk the the implications of these crazy big changes in our country, but also there's 800,000 people's lives here. And there are people who were given this, and even Obama said five years ago, it was short term, it was temporary, but they've been allowed to stay here, they've been allowed to work. So the activist groups, the, the, the pro-immigration groups are saying, well, these are 800,000 people who are gonna start losing their jobs. That's not great for the economy and uh, people who don't know if they're going to be deported. And and I think a major issue that people don't really understand is so today, to your point, uh, the president again says, you know what? Dreamers don't need to worry. Apparently, Nancy Pelosi asked him to tweet and he tweeted, hey, don't worry, we're not going after you. And that's fine. But in the past, what the administration has said when the Obama administration said we have certain uh, enforcement priorities, the concern was that maybe agents on the ground were doing their own thing, maybe going rogue, maybe not honoring those enforcement priorities. So the question now becomes, you're saying that they're protected and dreamers don't feel protected. They feel that if you're going to go after their parent and your home, they might, you may go after them. And they also are concerned that if they are an, an activist and if they're at a protest and if the local sort of ICE folks know who they are, well, maybe they'll knock on their door. There's so much here. Right. And it's just fascinating that the president is just like tweeting willy nilly this way and that way when there's a lot on this, this policy. Affects. Well, one of the complicating things, too, is that as you guys both know, you've covered this quite a bit, but. There's a lot of complicated regulation basically around how people get deported and and what the – like the original basis for DACA was that the office of the president has a lot of discretion when it comes to immigration and so that the president can assert, well, these are my deportation priorities. It's like prosecutorial discretion. Is that's what the the terminology is for it, but basically means that they expanded the use of of a principle that says basically the president can can kind of judge, can prioritize, emphasize certain groups over others for deportation and it really has a lot of leverage on immigration policy in general. The thing is, is there's a lot of confusion right now about this president and what he's actually directing. And then you have different intricacies with if you interact with an ICE agent, even in a non-criminal fashion, then you can become subject to deportation. Like there's lots of different like intricacies that make people who have applied for something like DACA and been approved incredibly vulnerable to deportation. And, you know, I know we don't want to get so bogged down in policy sometimes, but sometimes it's important to know early on in the administration, the administration did some executive orders, and one of them was on interior enforcement, exactly what we're talking about. These are our priorities so that people in the field know what to carry out. And when you read through those priorities, 
as you kept going through them, it kept expanding who's deportable. And basically what it has led to is this idea that if you're undocumented, pretty much you're deportable. Now they say non-criminals, but that's also for the person on the ground to, to decide what they were doing and if they think they were committing a crime or had committed a crime in the past. There's a lot of leeway there. And I think that that's where the folks who would be affected are, are concerned because they don't know how this is going to play out. Right. It comes back to the fact that there's just there's a lot of space for human human judgment when it comes to immigration and that you have like between 700 and 800,000 people who they are talked about as a group, but individually it is like their livelihood that is at stake. I think it is worth a little bit talking about the origins of DACA and how Obama originally approached it and kind of how how it came about because it's not it's not necessarily like it was a simple process, especially DAPA. And how I was curious because originally my understanding was that a lot of activists in particular always wanted more. And I'm curious from your perspective, having reported on this over the years, like how has the perception in kind of the DACA recipient dreamer world, how has their view changed of DACA? What do they think of it today versus five years ago? Yeah, it's really funny when we're talking about some stuff like this and you have to sort of go in the way back machine. But I think that this starts at what Democrats and activists um, and Republicans have gotten involved as well with comprehensive immigration reform. This idea that we're going to do a bunch of stuff all together and um, we're going to do border enforcement, but we're also going to figure out um, a way of dealing with the 11 million undocumented people in a humane way, putting all those pieces together. And then that can make each side happy because they're getting something they want. So at some point, activists started saying, well, this doesn't work for us. Like, this is a process. We've tried this. They also felt that people that didn't want to see this happen were sort of poisoning the process by adding things that weren't going to pass, making it unwieldy. So what activists started saying was, you know what, forget comprehensive immigration reform and what dreamers started doing. And they said, why don't we work on getting protections for us, which they believed that the executive, the president could do on his own. This became problematic for Democrats who said, no, 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 you need to keep putting pressure on Republicans. We need comprehensive immigration reform. So eventually this idea started picking up a lot of steam in the activist community, which was the president can do something. At the same time, with that pressure increasing, the administration started talking and trying to figure out how they could do this. So they worked on this for a few months. There was also pressure from, now we should we should put a time on this. This is in the lead up to the 2012 election, so Obama's re-election campaign. And there is, as there always is, uh, talk of enthusiasm of minority communities and uh, the Latino vote, will it come out for him? And so now there's a political component to it. And people are saying, is he going to do something before the election to juice the Latino vote? And as well as Marco Rubio at that time, uh, who was you know sort of Tea Party darling and up and coming senator, Hispanic, Cuban, people were talking about, could he be a, a VP possibility for Mitt Romney? And, and and Marco Rubio was working on a legislative sort of dream act, a, a DACA protections, but, you know, codifying it through law. And all these different pieces came together. <laughs> this is the distant time five years ago when immigration reform was seen as like a pretty top Republican priority with about half of the party. Which is easy to forget now yeah. um, with, the, with the way that Trump, the direction that Trump took uh, immigration policy. But yeah, this was a time where people were saying this is a good idea. And so ultimately, all those different pieces, they matter because they come together to create the Obama administration saying that we're going to do uh, DACA. So I just want to like recall, too, that 
activists and the Latino community were like very angry with Obama. This was not, I I know it was, it was done and everyone, there was a sense that like he was trying to like juice the base ahead of the 2012, but like people were livid with him because they felt like he had promised so much. He was deporting so many people, calling him the deporter in chief. I just remember being on the Hill at the time and like there were massive protests in DC and uh, a lot of people got arrested during those protests. And this was an incredible amount of pressure on a democratic president and saying, you know, you gotta live up to your promises here. Obama was frustrated with them too. And he felt that the pre- that they were putting pressure on him, but he wanted pressure on Congress. And the activists felt, well, you're our ally. I thought you had our back. So why don't you, why won't you do this for us when we believe it can be done? It, it was definitely a contentious situation. And the Latino and immigrant forces were, were working on that and, and they wanted DACA to happen. And then afterwards, they were really happy and they felt that they had pushed on this and, and that this had come in part because of their activist pressure um, and so that's that's part of the re- way that DACA came to be. One thing that's also notable about this whole history of the Obama approach on DACA and DAPA and the legislative push from people like Rubio and the Gang of Eight, and then also looking back to the George W. Bush era, where they really did make quite a concerted effort on a major immigration legislative package that ultimately failed, is how one of the things that's come up with Trump And I think we're seeing kind of like iterations of this now because of the weird tweets where it's not quite clear what he wants to do is Trump so far has not demonstrated the kind of public patience and diligence around policy priorities that you saw with like Obama doing basically a year of work to get Obamacare passed or even the George W. Bush era with immigration a similar thing, the idea that Cecilia Munoz was like toiling away to like get DACA figured out over like a period of months, maybe even a year. That's a different thing. That's like, <laughs> that's not happening at the the Trump. Uh, the old Trump White House. <laughs> yeah. It's one day, one day just bleeds into the next. It seems as though Nancy Pelosi called him last night and asked him to tweet something. And he did. Well, she he actually called her this morning. Oh. <laughs> it's even better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. To put some context around what's happening right at this moment, it's that Trump decided essentially on a, on what seems like a whim yesterday was that he was going to do a plan with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to raise the debt limit and get the Harvey done. And everyone in the Republican Party is super pissed. And now Pelosi and Schumer have both said today, on Thursday today, that they've talked to him about doing something on the DREAM Act. So I don't really know what world we're living in, but Trump seems to be wanting to deal make with Democrats. So it is, in fact, a possibility that... So actually on this dealmaker front, by the way, one thing that we, we did want to talk a little bit about, because there's some... I don't know how widely obviously we've reported on this a fair amount but i don't know how widely known this is uh but you've reported on this quite a bit which is like steve bannon's weird take on on daca on dreamers yeah you know it's interesting because when i talk to administration people there's a lot of things out there about bannon and people that you know say that he's that people think he's a white nationalist or people call him different names and people feel that breitbart was allowed the rise of the alt-right and 
one of the things that, that is fascinating where people say he's so stridently anti-DACA, well, there's some nuance within that position, which is that from what I heard early on in the administration, uh, Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon were of the opinion that they should keep DACA around for negotiating purposes against Democrats. Now, this is not that he uh, is holding out his arms and he loves the dreamer kids. That's not the idea that is being told to me, but it is this <laughs> idea. Nice mental that, image. You know, that we should keep that, that, the, that they should keep the program around for leverage later on, which is kind of the point that we've reached now. And that the reason that matters is because what I had heard was that there was a significant disagreement between those two and between Stephen Miller and Jeff Sessions, who were saying the program's unconstitutional, we need to get rid of it. And so the reason that I think that's interesting is because that has come up again where people have, there was a McClatchy story talking about senior officials wondering if there could be a, a big immigration deal where they give DACA protections in exchange for things like border wall funding, in exchange for things like E-Verify. And there's a, you know, Cotton Purdue bill where they want to curb legal immigration from a million visas to half a million visas. And that is for a lot of people, a non-starter, because now you're going into legal immigration. But these are the pieces that are moving. And I think it's just sort of fascinating that uh, DACA hung around for so long and this idea of leverage happened. And now you see the president kind of toying with, with what leverage is there, getting rid of the program, and what's going to happen in the next six months. So, Adrian, Congress is a difficult place to get things done. In your best estimate, which I understand that things change, you know, minute to minute, hour to hour, what do you think is actually going to end up happening here? Uh, that's super difficult to say. I think that as we saw, uh, as soon as uh, the president made the decision to begin to phase out the, the rescinding the program, you had... Uh, people like uh, Senator Dick Durbin and, and Lindsey Graham saying we should do the DREAM Act right now because we don't know what the topic du jour is going to be next month. And that's what Republicans told me as well, that there is a year's worth of work to do in four months. So now they have to talk about immigration. I mean, I was surprised by the level of uh, support for DACA protections, DREAMer protections, from Republican leaders that they came out like pretty forcefully and publicly to talk about that, not because this program has not had bipartisan support in the past, but because in this new era that we are in and the direction that tr that the that Trump has taken immigration, I, I wasn't sure that that, that was going to come up again. The, the, these ideas, like we were talking about, they were more popular a few years ago. And I've also been surprised by how much the Democrats and progressives seem to be unifying on this issue, as we saw with issues like the travel ban and things like that, where ultimately it gets to a thing that is uniting them, which people feel this is un-American to do this. So I do think that there's a lot of momentum and support for dreamer protections. I think it ultimately comes down to, and I'd love to hear what you guys have to say, I think it ultimately comes down to what is the administration and what are Republicans demanding it has to be part of that deal. Because yesterday it seemed to be that Trump was coming out of that meeting with Pelosi and Schumer saying, we'll do some border protection. We'll do just some border security. I don't know what that that means, but we'll do some border security stuff and we'll do dreamer pack. I mean, I mean, John Podhoritz the other day was, who's a writer, was arguing the Democrats should just like take, if he like wants to like do the wall, they should be like, yeah, all right, here's $200 million for the wall. Now let's do the dream act because the wall's not getting built. 
And and Pelosi sort of hinted at that today that sh- when she was talking to Trump that she's fine with border security. Like Democrats are ultimately fine with border security. They're just not going to spend trillions and trillions of dollars on a wall. But I totally see a scenario in which and she said that she would probably agree to this where in which they're like, OK, here is some money for border security in a very vague, you know, in a vague way, in exchange for the DREAM Act. Democrats would 100% go for that. So here's an important thing that we should actually remember here. The Trump administration has been saying the wall is being built already without money appropriated for new wall to be built because they are strengthening existing wall physical barriers that already exist, um, gates and fences and things like that, and pretty strong. I mean, they look like... If you looked at it, it looks like a pretty strong wall. It's just not this big, giant, mammoth, concrete wall that we envision in our minds when we think about it. They're already taking credit for building roads to these areas so they can build gates and bridges and things like that. So if they did get some funding, but obviously not as much as they need, well, then they're definitely going to take credit for that. I remember when the Breitbart White House correspondent said, uh, you know, when they showed a picture of the existing fencing and they said, oh, you know, you're talking about your big boy wall. You know, I mean, that. And so it was kind of funny because, um, well, besides the fact that Breitbart was kind of hitting the administration there. So, yeah, I do think that there that there are some possibilities for Democrats to give in on some of this border security stuff and for the administration to call that a win for them. I suspect some sort of deal will be made. I mean, the the other thing that people forget a lot is that Paul Ryan is actually quite supportive of both Dreamers and some kind of immigration reform, and he has been for a very long time. Um, a lot of members of the Hispanic Caucus sort of have seen him previously before he became Speaker as really uh, an ally in this. the 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 open question is is that like will he be able to drag any you know, the sort of hard right members of his caucus long, having promised when he became speaker that he would only bring things to the floor with the, you know, majority of a majority. And I don't know that he has that. What I find super interesting is Republicans who talk to me and say, well, as soon as the calendar church turns to January 1st, we're looking at 2018 and our constituents are looking at us and saying, what have you accomplished? And I was talking to a Republican strategist yesterday um, and he was basically saying they're working on taxes. Maybe they get something done on taxes. But if they don't, what are you going to point to in 2018? Oh, we did dreamer protections. That is uh, not what was described as making America great again to uh, their base. And so I think that that could be an issue for them as well. All right, Catherine, Adrian. It's really good talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. It was only okay. As Mitch McConnell said yesterday, this is fine. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer, Eleanor Kagan, and Alex Laughlin. The show is edited by Catherine Miller. Production support comes from Veronica Doolin. Our music is by Beauty Bill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate Nocera and at Catherine Miller.